Hello and welcome to The Scrum, the political podcast that we do here at WGBH News. I'm Adam Riley, and in this episode, we're talking about what's been a pretty rough stretch for Boston Mayor Marty Walsh. The Boston Globe reports that Walsh has become ensnared in a federal investigation of possible union abuses in the Boston area. In 2012, when Walsh was still a state rep and the head of the Boston Building Trades, he was apparently caught on a wiretap saying he'd told a local developer that if they didn't use union labor at a project in Somerville, they'd face problems at a separate project in Boston. The Globe also reports that the feds are looking into whether Boston's director of tourism pressured the music festival Boston Calling to use union labor in 2014, at which point Walsh was mayor. In addition, organizers of the proposed IndyCar Boston race, which the mayor strongly supported, have said they're scrapping the event, which was slated to debut in the seaport this Labor Day. According to Grand Prix of Boston CEO John Casey, the city and the state were just too difficult to deal with. And then, adding injury to insult, the mayor is reportedly battling kidney stones, which I've been told is an absolutely excruciating ailment. Joining me now to talk about Marty Walsh's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad week and a half are Boston Globe reporter Megan Irons, who covers Boston City Hall for the paper. Megan, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. We're also joined by Lauren Dzenski of Politico, who writes Politico's Massachusetts Playbook. Lauren, thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. And by Peter Kadzis, the editor of WGBHnews.org. And I think it's fair to say sort of a sage of Boston city politics. Is that fair, oh, Peter? As my sainted mother would have said, uh, <laughs> shovel it thin, we have a big farm. <laughs> Although I did I did used to shovel a sidewalk oh, of former Mayor Hines. So I, I have I I've touched Wow. Down in Lower Mills. I've touched yeah. 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 I've known it. I've known a lot of them. All right. Let's start with you, uh, Megan. I want to know what the feeling in City Hall has been in the days since your paper uh, broke this news that Walsh is caught up in a federal investigation, what's the mood in the building like? Well, it certainly wasn't a great week for the mayor, as you've said. Um, and there's been, I think, the uh, the Globe's accounting of this federal investigation and the mayor being tied up into it has certainly caught a lot of people by surprise. Um, Marty Walsh is known as a really good guy, as a fair-minded mayor, as someone who tries to do the best he can. But there have always been the speculation about the people around the mayor. And so some of those revelations that came out in the news report, um, I would say it stunned some folks at City Hall. And I think uh, everyone's watching to see how this is playing out and how uh, the mayor can uh, recover from this if he can at all. So when you see uh, representatives of the mayor, people who work with him in his administration walking around the building, are there a lot of, you know, uh, hushed conversations taking place in the corner that then break off as soon as you as a reporter walk by? Well, or... they do that all the time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Any more than usual? No more than usual. No more than I have seen. I mean, I've, I've just seen a, a few fo- folks in the uh, elevator, but normally people don't say very uh, interesting things around me. Okay. All right. <laughs> Not and that I can hear anyway. So, Lauren, I'm curious about your vantage point from the State House, where you said, do you sit 
directly across from our state house correspondent Mike Dean, or are you next? So he's, him, like, I he's like, I face the wall, and he's behind me, and then it's it's Gin Dumptious, uh, who's another you know veteran of of Boston city politics, right. and actually literally wrote the book on the 2013. He did write race, the book, so yeah, yeah it's a good exactly. book too. This so, way to city hall in the state house. Since Marty Walsh is a former state rep, and obviously since people in the state house are interested in what happens in city hall. Is there any kind of chatter about this among the people who used to serve in the legislature with Walsh, for example? I mean, it, it it lends itself to the fact that, you know, the state house is located in the city of Boston. You know, Boston politics affect what happens at the state house. Uh, and, you know, Mayor Walsh was at the state house for 17 years serving the legislature. So people certainly do pay attention. Um I mean, I, as as a reporter and as an observer of, of Boston City politics, I mean, Friday at like six o'clock when all of the news was breaking, it was like one thing after another after another. And oh, my God, he has kidney stones. <laughs> so it was I mean, it was surprising. And I think, you know, it's. Any one of those stories individually is bad news, I think, for anyone. Um, and. And but all of them together is bad. And, you know, look at someone like House Speaker Robert DeLeo, who has also had, you know, the sights of of Carmen Ortiz trained upon him. You know, there are people in the building who are somewhat familiar with being, you know, gone after, especially in the pages of the Boston Globe or in the media as a whole. So so there's a certain level of identification. So how does that, um, and I'm not trying to get you to betray any confidences here, although it would be great if you did. How does, that, <laughs> how does that manifest itself? I mean, do you have, say, legislator X coming up to you and saying, man, it really stinks to be in the position he's been in, or, uh, hey, Lauren, do you think uh, you think he's going to go down? How do How is this playing out? I mean, there isn't necessarily, you know, no one's sitting there saying, oh, my God, is the mayor going to go down? But, I mean, there's certainly a, a certain level of chatter that you see, whether it's in text messages or or even just chatter on social media or, you know, in random asides at the state house. I mean, I think the big question is, um, you know, at least that I have had, and I don't think that any observer of Boston City politics would, would have anything uh, would be saying anything different is that did what did Friday's news did kind of the culmination of that week did that create an opening for a mayoral challenger for Marty Walsh in 2017 Adam you're pointing at me like I'm preempting uh, no, I was just gonna say I'm so glad you mentioned that and I want you to hold that thought okay because uh, we are definitely going to get okay to that so I'm going to pause bit. Um, Peter Kadzis, before you wax wise about what's happened lately for the mayor, I want to point out that it's not just the mayor who used to be in the state house, but also Boston's attorney, corporation counsel, Eugene O'Flaherty, exactly. who I tend to think of as sort of Marty Walsh's id. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he'd agree with that characterization. Lauren, you want and, one and, more? And, you know, piggybacking off of, you know, Megan, what you said, when we talk about people around the mayor, I think Gino is a really prime example of someone who, you know, has has a legitimate track record, be it good or bad, you know, look at uh, the successes or lack thereof uh, in in terms of uh, court cases and challenges that we've seen by City Hall. For example, with Steve Wynn. Right. Yeah. And and it's not necessarily a winning track record. Um, and, and so, you know, he's a familiar face. He's a familiar name at the State House. And you know, people people are paying attention. All right. Peter Kadzis, as the, uh, as the uh, old guy. grizzled gray-beard <laughs> in the, the room. Guy. Okay. And your beard, which looks fantastic, does seem to get uh, whiter every time every time we chat what do you what do you make of all this Uh, and am i and maybe megan or lauren but probably me am i getting too over dramatic as i talk about this yeah well you're getting a little over too dramatic i I, i'm of the school of thought that 
says, you know, it's it's a rite of passage. Un, un, until they've got, a May has been dragged before a grand jury, you know, they they it's a rite of passage that that's important. Like to getting go a through. Boy Scout badge. Right. Yeah, well, Thank you know, you Kevin White, like... as I said in another <laughs> context, didn't. no, Menino didn't. And I was going to Menino didn't, and um, uh, Menino had a remarkably, you know, uh, uh, stain free. Um, uh, administration, but look, Kevin White was under investigation for years, and he did loads of good good work. I happen to think that White was probably guilty of whatever they were looking <laughs> at him for. They just couldn't nail him. Well, by the way, just just really briefly, what were they looking at him for? It 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 was c- considered um, kickbacks for construction. Ah, okay. Uh, also, campaign finance laws um, were very different then. It was. It, it, today, it's much easier to give people money legally. Um, what's interesting here is that this isn't about, you know, campaign money, which is what usually is the the, the thing that, you know, lead, leads to a downfall. You know, it, 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 it's, it's very interesting because there's a Somerville angle to this. Um, you've got two different unions. You've got the building trades. You've got the Teamsters. Um, I wonder, you know, if this investigation goes into the theater district, because if you talk to people in the arts community, they will talk to you about, you know, having to essentially pay two prices, you know, to get a sober, um, to, to, to get a sober qualified stagehand, you'll pay more than just to get anyone else. Um, I know myself, you know, back in the days when I was at the Boston Phoenix, we ran a number of big music events at at City Hall Plaza. And um, while I didn't put those events together, I made the initial introductions. There was never a hint of um, a hint of using union labor or any pressure brought to bear. This is in the Menino years. This This was in the Menino years. So, so um, if these allegations are true and well, we have to say if this isn't, this is a new wrinkle at city hall. And as people like Buddy Cianci can attest to, you you know, Buddy had his own problems, but he really got into problems because the people around him just were unchecked and went crazy. I got to make it. I know you want to hop in here. I have to make two quick, points. The first is that this is a, a good time for a disclosure. Brian Appel and Mike Snow, who uh, run Boston Calling, worked with you and me at the Boston Phoenix. So and WFNX, correct. WFNX. Yeah. So we should make a point of mentioning that. Megan, why don't you hop on in? I, I was going to say, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, Marty Walsh is the city's first union mayor. And I covered um, to a certain extent the 2013 mayoral primary um, and he was heavily backed by union. And after he was elected, everyone was wanting to see how was his role as the former head of the building uh, trades union and his association with union going to affect how he would lead as mayor. And so some of these things are sort of bringing those back to light. Um, I'm hearing from people, not inside the building, but outside the building, that this is really uh, going to make uh, members of unions very, very, uh, um, uh, even even more forcefully for the mayor now that they feel that union is under attack. And, and they're going to, uh, if there was any doubt that the mayor is going to run again or if there was any doubt that there, there might be challengers, uh, his support uh, among uh, members of unions are going to be, is, is going to be much stronger this time around because they feel like their man is under attack. 
Yeah, I mean, just because I, I think everyone is sort of wimping out here. Just because um, hey. you're questioned by the feds doesn't mean that you're going to be indicted. I'm so glad you said that. That's that true. was the that was my second That's, point. I it's like to make everyone's like, oh, you know, the feds came and talked to me. Come on, man up. You're in politics. It's Boston. And by the way, we don't know that they actually talked to him. So no, yeah, my guess is from reading between the lines is they haven't. He hasn't testified yet in this matter. And as a matter of fact, all of these stories are really designed to to loosen lips, to put the terror of, uh, of you know, the feds in you. Mm-hmm. But anyway. But I, if he I, hasn't I, testified, why won't he just say that? I agree. The, the way that City Hall has responded to some of these news stories, it's like, just definitively say something. And, and this kind of bumbling, you know, oh, we, you know, we can't really say anything. I mean, to a certain extent, yeah, there, there are limitations. But this lack of decisive action just, again, it, it creates this opening, this kind of questioning of, like, what are they trying to hide? What's going on? Wait, but hasn't he, he has said something, right? He said that he did not, uh, if I recall correctly, that he has not uh, – had contact with a grand jury involving or spoken to a grand jury in the matter of the alleged pressuring of developers by local union labor and that he is not going to comment on whether he's had contact with the grand jury in connection with that Top Chef case when the show Top Chef came in and filmed and and had some nasty stuff done to them by local Teamsters, mm-hmm. uh, if I recall correctly, the mayor has said to, to me and others, you know, starting with your paper, mm-hmm. that um, he's not going to comment on that because he wants to maintain the integrity of the investigation. So I think he has spoken and spoken kind of carefully. Well, he's, he's, he spoke, yes, after he was pressured to speak. I mean, they were asking him these questions. I think the Herald began asking last year and the Globe earlier this year. And so uh, when he when his back was against the wall, yes, he did respond. But he hasn't still said whether or not anyone from his administration has been subpoenaed. Yeah, and they're fighting you and, guys tooth and nail yeah, on that, right? Uh, right. And yeah. so the handling of it, may, you know, you're right. Maybe at the end of the day, you know, nothing ever comes of this um, and all might end up well. But I think the handling of it, this sort of keeping things so close to the chest and not responding immediately to uh, inquiries, just sort of raise the specter, raise suspicion unnecessarily. Well, no, I, I'll tell you, if, if tone of voice in body language is any indication, in many ways, that's more important than what you say. Um, uh, the whole administration is not exuding confidence. Um, and th- that's a little bit when, when I was being snarky and sarcastic and saying man up. They've never, you know, he has not had a tough time with anything. Um, hey, what about I mean, the uh, Olympics? Olympics? Ah, Thank you very much. No, oh, GE is a big plus. You know, the, the people complaining about GE are just gnats on the mayor's. You, Would you, you call know. them 10 people on Twitter? No, I would not call them 10 people on Twitter, but they're people who, um, you, you know, aren't going to vote for him anyway. Uh, the Olympics, he, to Lawrence's point, was a, a pretty tough go of it, though, and it was Yeah, and, I, and by and, the way, I thought he was, he whined an awful lot throughout all that, but that wasn't real. That was long and drawn out. This what is the BPS? Uh, th- this is the real thing. The hmm. feds, this is the real thing. And I'll tell you, I, I, I think one reason that he needs to sort of toughen up is um, that, first of all, I don't see anyone running against him. That's not to say he's going to. You can't beat someone with nobody. 
you, you know, he's got, what, $2.15 million mm-hmm. in the bank. That's more money than any mayor has had. Right before we came down here, I took a list at Tito Jackson's, you know, campaign finance records. He's a man of action. Well, Tito, <laughs> I, I mentioned Tito only because even though he has said he's he's not running or anything, Tito was the person that the great mentioner mentions the most. <laughs> Tito's got between, you know, over the last several months, his campaign account has fluctuated between two and $4,000. Yeah. That's not yeah. that's way, not someone building that. that's not someone building a watch you, list. Yeah. You and I tried to get Tito to say if he might run and he, he wouldn't answer the question, but I the numbers you just quoted. No, but I'm I'm mentioning T- Tito is a symbol. Really, I take him at his word. Lauren Dazanski of Politico's Massachusetts Playbook. One thing that I do want to note, I one hundred percent agree on fundraising and that uh uh, what he has done so far, Tito Jackson uh, does not indicate that he is seriously prepared for a run. However, I will note this weekend uh, he is oh, he's having a fundraiser for his birthday, the Tito's Dreamcatcher birthday, which ball. is kind of weird. I, right? It's it, it's a it's a unique name. So I, hmm. I just thought that was interesting. It's it's an it's Very an opportunity to uh, different to raise price some points. Funds. Uh, it looked like they might be, but uh, don't quote me on that. Um, but. But I very much agree in terms of uh, what you were saying about challengers. And, yeah, Marty Walsh hasn't really had any pushback. I mean, he hasn't had any issues and he hasn't had any pushback. But I have to wonder, and this is what I was getting into earlier, and Adam cut me off, but I'm going to go right back to it. But basically, I have to wonder if the news and what has unfolded over the last week and a half, you know, there haven't necessarily been viable challengers before, but I have to wonder if someone is sitting there in the city and is saying, you know what, I didn't want to do it before, but I have some serious concerns about the way that this administration is going down. I need to take a stand and I need to do something. Who would do that? I'm not sure. Maybe someone like Michelle Wu, who said that she doesn't want to do it, but who knows? Uh, someone like John Barros, maybe. Again, this See, is my fever dream of know. challengers. And the mayor has been very successful in silencing his challengers. John Barros has a job, and so does Felix Arroyo. And uh, Michelle Wu has said over and over again that she's not interested. Maybe Anna Presley, who knows she's never indicated her husband has a job but her and her husband, husband has, has a, job. a job yeah you're right you're right <laughs> her husband has a job in the administration and the question is you're right all of us uh you know who would that be because to be able to challenge the mayor you're going to have to need money and you're going to have to need the kind of union support that swept this mayor into office mm-hmm. so how and when and who that is, those are the questions. You wouldn't necessarily need uh, equivalent union support, right? I mean, you could try to do it the way John Connolly did last time around and have all the people who are concerned so about... Well, well, well no, that, was, came, that yeah. was the closest race. By the way, John Connolly is not running for mayor. Right. No, right. But but that was, the, that was a darn close race. I mean, it was, what, two, three percentage was, points down the But he still lost. Well, he lost yes, but he, he lost, but it was... I, I mean, the unions had... The, the Here's how the unions made a difference. It was very simple the, the 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 professionals said that on election day the union support is worth you know uh, two to five points at the polls mm-hmm. and that's what it turned out mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. um you know I, i'm not mm-hmm. but, but look the mayor has other things going for him he's got general electric mm-hmm. which is a big plus most people 
people think, to mm-hmm. the Verizon high speed, yeah. which is a big plus. And also, that was handled very well, going to the neighborhoods. Yeah. And people were, were laughing as I was reading, and I said, oh, what a smart move. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. go to the neighborhoods with it first. The community college thing, which is, um, which, which is you know, perhaps... Not as huge as people think, yeah, but it's it just sh- tuition, not fees. Not it's, nearly yeah, as you, huge. You yeah. stole my thunder, but Sorry. nevertheless, no, 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 no. <laughs> it, 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 it's nevertheless for people who are strapped for cash. Mm-hmm. That that means something. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and don't forget Amazon. And the, oh, oh, Amazon. Yeah, that's a great statement point. A week later. But still, know. no, I think that's because, look, that's because it, they, they did it the right way. They said, you know, they were probably sm- someone at Amazon thought to themselves, we don't want to have any regulatory problems in Boston. Megan, isn't the Am- wasn't his Amazon move akin to what he just did with raising the transgender flag at City Hall and saying this isn't coming down until we have a transgender rights bill passed? It's now clear that a transgender rights bill is going to pass the House and Senate and be signed by Governor Baker. And yet it's a great PR move like that Amazon uh, gambit he made. Is that fair or am I being too uh, cynical? I don't know. I mean, I'm not seeing it. But I, I mean, I do think Ouch. the... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I I I think the Amazon the Amazon thing was came during the week that he was having a really horrible week. Yeah. He needed some positive news, and uh, so that you know that was something to sort of steer the eyes of the media away from him, perhaps, and uh, into something that he's he 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 that he is going to need in his uh, reelection campaign, and that that is. The black community is going to need folks in the black community to uh, elevate him back into office, and and uh, this is a plus for him. By the way, he does have front. one announced opponent, right? Mary Franklin, that anti-violence. I, oh, and I, right. I, and and I, I don't think a lot of people expect her, but I'm just I, I want to point out that there is one person out there who has said. I'm going to run for mayor, and I don't like the way he's he's uh, doing business. Well, yeah. Also, in 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 the, the his embrace after weeks of ambivalence of the Community Preservation Act, oh, yeah. I, I think plays into, um, the, the, you know, a big nod, a, a bow to, you know, the communities of color. So we got Amazon, the transgender flag, the CPA. And I was at that press conference where he announced he was uh, getting behind the Community Preservation Act. And Michael Flaherty, the city councilor, got up and said, you know, it's so wonderful to have a mayor who supports this. The last time we had a chance to do this, we had a mayor who wasn't on board, a reference to Tom Menino. And I, it was like a Marty Walsh party at that CPA presser. I wonder if, you know, if there weren't all this news if he would have been there. That's a great question. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It, oh, it made I, well, me think. Made me think geez, about that. you're as cynical as I am. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I have a question. We haven't really talked about IndyCar at all. And, mm-hmm. and I wanted to ask all of you, there are, I think, a couple narratives that can be embraced here when it comes to the demise of uh, Boston's foray into IndyCar racing. The first is we can call it the Mike Ross narrative in honor of the former mm-hmm. Boston City Councilor. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the gist is, oh, everyone in Boston hates fun and we hate new things and we like to say no just because it's fun to say no. I do. So that's that's the Mike Ross narrative. <laughs> uh, the, the other narrative, I think, potentially, is that IndyCar, and I haven't heard anyone make this point, uh, tell me if I'm wrong, you could actually cast this as a sort of a victory for Marty Walsh in that, um, Chris Cohan, his former consultant, was repping IndyCar. And yet, even though Chris and, and uh, Kate Norton, Marty Walsh's former spokeswoman, who's now working with Chris Cohan, even though they were part of the push 
for the IndyCar race, your brow is so furrowed right Sorry, now. I'm Lauren, I could put a think, pencil in there. No, just that just that you had you had Walsh people with Walsh connections pushing this race, and Walsh along with the state. For him, that wasn't enough. He wasn't going to say, okay, yeah, you know, he, he liked it. He wanted it to happen, but it wasn't enough to get it done, just that he had friends of his who were connected with it. You're furring your brow too, Megan. Am I, am I reaching here? Um, that is interesting. I didn't see it. You know, no. that way. You, you are just shooting down all my bread ideas. And then, <laughs> yeah. okay, so. And, so <laughs> no, I agree with that. I agree. <laughs> no, okay, and then I just wanted to suggest one third narrative, and I tried to make this point on Twitter earlier in the week. That would be that, that to me, the common thread between the Olympics and IndyCar is that you had two big projects, one of them, the Olympics, much bigger than the other, but two big projects where the city made a commitment mm. to do something and then began this process of, quote-unquote, community engagement. And this seems to me like it's sort of a defining trait of Marty Walsh's time as mayor, is that the commitment is made and then the conversation begins, mm. but saying no isn't supposed to be an option until mm. everything falls apart. Mm. Is that too harsh? No, I mean, no, I, I when, you, when you talk to a lot of the opponents, especially the ones from Austin 2024 who carried over to IndyCar, their big issue with both you know, instances was that the city signed on to do something and then they looked at the fine print and then they were like, oh, we should, you know, maybe we should talk to, you know, the residents and, and get buy in there. And I mean, that that that's what surprised me so much about the IndyCar issue was that I thought that City Hall and and Walsh's people and everyone would have learned the lesson from the Olympics and said, you know what? Our biggest issue, I mean, there's there were a litany of issues with Boston 2024, but specifically, the biggest issue was that they didn't go to the community members. They didn't go to the neighborhoods. They didn't get that buy-in first, and that that killed them initially. Um, and we saw the same thing with IndyCar. And it's like, what are you guys doing? Why aren't you talking to the people that are supposed to be involved here? If you want the city to be on board with something, yeah, you can have an amazing, you know, glittering press conference and roll this all out. But my God, go to the community meetings, sell it first. Megan, why do you think they're taking that approach? That is the question, isn't it? It's very puzzling. Um, I, I remember a couple of months ago, I wrote a story about nimbyism in Boston. I grew up here and I, uh, I, and I cover these communities and, um, yes, we are a city of no, we say no first and then we back into a yes. Um, <laughs> and I think, um, this new administration just has not learned that yet. It's a skill I think Menino picked up very well and he even knew, uh, how to approach certain difficult communities, South Boston, Roxbury. Um, uh, these are neighborhoods that are typically against pretty much everything you propose. Um, but, um, but I think, uh, you know, this is uh, an administration that is still fairly young. And um, and sometimes, you know, I'm totally in agreement with you. It's just quite baffling. The with Lauren, not with me, because you haven't agreed with anything I've said <laughs> I just, just wanted to clarify. A point. No, no, that was you said. very eloquent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you did make two points, and I agreed with the first oh, one. That's right. Yes. Uh, so, yes, I mean, I just feel like this is something that is very, very difficult for a new administration to get. Um, and I don't know if they'll ever get it. I mean, they just really fumbled that. They fumbled the Olympics. 
casinos, you name it. Peter Kansas, you're the other casinos, you're right. Boston. Yeah. Oh, good point. You're the other Boston uh, native here at the table, along with Megan. Lauren and I are, are you know, uh, we breezed in from elsewhere. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, do from you, America. Do you, yeah. do, do you agree with Megan that Boston's a city of no? Um, yes, but not, it, it, it's not no with five exclamation points. The, I thought the most important thing Megan said, no, and then you back into yes. And, and that's why I was nodding my head there because I think that's, well, maybe that's not a bad idea. You know, that's, oh, okay, persuade us. That's because Bostonians are fairly sophisticated in terms of politics. And, you know, they know most politicians don't know what they're doing. And this is real inexperience, you know. And, and I would say, by the way, he's new. You know, Tomanino is first two years in office in particular, even despite his many years at City Hall, were, um, you, you know, wasn't as swift on the pickup. Um, look at even Charlie Baker, who is really something of a master these days, but, you know, when he ran last time was certainly less than masterful. So, you, you know, um, the, 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 the people at City Hall are not as sharp as people think they are. Uh to add to that, Menino, I think, was famous for saying no, right? He he said no to, what, Chick-fil-A? Like, there, there are a number of random... Even though he proposals. couldn't really, right? Right, right. Um, so, I, that I, just to piggyback off of the, the saying no comment, um, and, and the one thing that surprises me about Walsh Qu- City Hall... Qu- quick interruption. Oh. Menino said oh. no so often because he could immediately tell whether there was something in it for him. Yeah. And mm-hmm. let's forget the big... Th- Thinking with, you know, the good reason to be against Chick-fil-A, there was nothing in it for him. Right. Just as he knew there was nothing in the Olympics And Walmart, remember that too? Well, uh, yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. <laughs> but good, good, important clarification. Uh, also, in terms of surprise for the Walsh administration not understanding the community process, Marty Walsh hails from the part of Dorchester where civic association meetings are literally attended like church. You know, everyone goes. It is a big deal. And he he was the president of the Columbia Savin Hill Civic Association, which is probably one of the most powerful civic associations in the city that has the power to knock down or, or to to tank development proposals because there's not enough parking. You know, it. But I'll tell you, one of the people I respect most at City Hall who will go nameless so he won't lose his job <laughs> has always told me, he said, ah, these state reps, they're soft. He said, say what you will about a city councilor, but city councilors are at meetings four, five, six days a week. I said, well, state reps, he says, they send their staff. And I'll tell you, I think there's something to that. You know, the city councilors, again, whatever we may think about them, they are there face-to-face, and state reps aren't. It's just a different beast. And Menino was a city councilor for 10 years. He was from Hyde Park. But one of the things uh, Menino did very well was learn the entire city. Marty Walsh was a Dorchester state representative, and he knew Dorchester very well. He knows Dorchester very well. He's still getting used to the rest of the city. All right. Before we go, I want each of you to try to think of one person who might realistically run against Marty Walsh and be a credible challenger. Lauren Dzanski, you got a God, name? Why do I have to go first? <laughs> All right, we'll come uh... back to you. Megan Irons. 
I have one person, um, possibly State Rep Russell Holmes. State Rep Russell oh. Holmes. All right, you heard it here first. I don't know. All right, last call, Peter and Lauren. No, no, just, like, who went to jail? Who Are you talking about jail? Diane Wilkerson? Diane Wilkerson. <laughs> no, no, that's good. Lauren, you got anything? <laughs> uh, I mean, eventually, someday, uh, Linda Dorsina Forey. But not mm. against Marty Walsh, right? No. At least not now. All right, that's going to do it for this installment of The Scrum. Peter Kadzis, Lauren Dzenski, Megan Irons, thanks for being here. And thanks to you for taking the time to listen. If you think we missed anything important, or if you want to suggest future topics, you can email us at scrum at wgbh.org. By the way, you should subscribe to us in iTunes if you haven't already. You can also leave a review there if you're so inclined. You can also find us on the various podcatchers that are kicking around out there. And you can always listen online and get back episodes at blogs.wgbh.org slash scrum. Our producer today was Jason Tureski. Our engineer was John Parker. I'm Adam Riley, and The Scrum is a production of WGBH News. 